Blog Talk Radio. Namaste. You are now in the Funk Soul Cafe, a cool, hot, soulful radio show for artists, writers, and so much more, hosted by yours truly, Robert Batista. So sit back, grab a nice, warm, and soulful cup of java or chai, and listen and enjoy. Knowledge is power. That day I learned how the media manipulates the news for its own purposes. At the time I heard the speech, I was at a journalism, I was a journalism major. After seeing how the newspaper had manipulated Ali's speech, I changed my major to mass communications. I got my degree in mass comm. I changed my major not because I thought TV, radio, film, and other media were more honest or accurate than print media, the reason why I switch is just the opposite. I realize that all of the media play games, and in many cases just flat out lies, in order to misdirect and control. These are the heartfelt words of today's guest, author Renetta Manis. Namaste, Renetta Manis, and welcome to the Funk Soul Cafe. All right. Thank you, Robert. It's my pleasure to be here. And it's a pleasure having you. Uh, Raynetta, let's first start off by taking your Java order. We have a wonderful variety of fine espressos, cappuccinos, and lattes, and we also have herbal teas for those tea lovers. So what's your fancy, Raynetta? Well, I tell you, Robert, I'm a very basic lady. I just like some black folders with uh, with cream and sugar. You got it coming right up. All right. Here you go. Enjoy. Thank you. So, Raynetta, welcome. Uh, quoted was part of an article on your WordPress blog called my head wrap. The article is entitled, The Media, The Day I Met Ali, and The Lesson Learned. I, like you, came of age in those volatile times, and my ultimate hero was not King or Malcolm or Kennedy, but Muhammad Ali. Not only what he stood for in the ring, but more importantly, outside of the world 
on the world stage. So I have to exactly. ask you, how was it meeting Ali in his youth? And what to you <laughs> is his legacy now so many years later after his passing? Well, like most young people, I went through this life-changing experience not even realizing that it was life-changing at the time. Uh, I was so happy to meet Ali. I was uh, in college, as as you read in my article, and uh, my cousin went to the same college. And the two of us, when Ali came on campus, the two of us decided to go to his speech. And uh, it was, it was, you know, it was very exciting. And Lord knows, the man was handsome. So <laughs> for two young ladies, it was doubly exciting to meet him. Oh, boy, he's handsome and charismatic and, you know, all of that. I still remember when he shook up the world. Anyway, so let's get into our show. So let's talk some books and go back to the beginning. Raynetta, okay. when did the first seed germinate in your mind that you wanted to be an author and write books and what was the first thing you did to scratch that itch? Well, I think the first thing that told me I wanted to go into communications was when I was a child, maybe 10, 11, I overheard a conversation two adults were arguing. And I'm listening to what they're saying, and I'm saying they're saying the same thing. Essentially, these two people were in agreement with each other, but they weren't listening to each other long enough to realize that. And that's what got me fascinated in communication to begin with. And um, I have, writing is, is one of my, very close to my heart, but I also have other media outlets. I'm a singer. Uh, I'm an actress or have been an actress. I was even a DJ for two years <laughs> on AM 1180WXLE. We don't hip and we don't hop. So communication has always <laughs> been my thing. <laughs> so, okay, so we're specifically talking books. So when did the seed germinate that you wanted to actually write a book? Well, here again, we got to go way back. Um, I would say, certainly before high school, I would say about junior high school, because when I was 10, 11, around the time I heard that, that life-changing conversation, I started writing stuff, you know, and I wrote some weird stuff to begin with. I wrote lyrics to the TV, the television shows that in vogue at the time, like Bonanza, I wrote lyrics. To go with the things. <laughs> I had a book. And I did that with just about all the popular shows. So after I did that, it was so much fun. I thought maybe I would try writing a story. And, and I did. Okay. And that was the beginning, and it hasn't stopped, you know, it, it hasn't stopped to this day 50 plus years later. Wow, that's a beautiful thing. So, Renetta, your exceptional first novel, All for Love, The Superstar's Lady, first released 20 years ago, is now considered a black romantic classic. Talk about how you first formulated the book's concept 
And how long did it take you to actually write and complete the story? Well, that, as you say, was my first book. And in all honesty, when I began it, and even while I was writing it, I really wasn't writing it for publication. This was an idea that had occurred to me, and it just had kind of a hold on me, and it demanded to be put down on paper. And once I started doing it, I I was like more or less obsessed. I I, I had to do it. Uh, so when it was finished, I thought it was going to be a short story, but it wound up being 95,000 words. <laughs> so <laughs> I was so proud, I mean, just to have done it. I was so proud. I printed it up, and I put it in a loose-leaf binder, and I let um, my daughter and my girlfriends read it. And they kept saying, oh, this is really good, girl. you got to get this published. And there we go. Well, let's talk about that next step, publishing. Back in 1996, book publishing was a lot different from the way it is today. How did you first publish All for Love? How did you first publish All for Love? And talk about any challenges you had in getting this story out to the world. Well, I did. It was somewhat of a rocky road, even though I found out later that my road was not nearly, I was a really, I really looked up. My road was not as rocky as most first-time writers. But essentially what happened was this. I finished the book, uh, let people read it. They encouraged me to get it published. I had no idea in how to go about doing that. The Internet was very new at that time. Right. And so I I got on the Internet, and I was looking at um, various, uh, there were several writers' forums at that time. Uh, There were even, there were several black writers' forums at that time. And um, through one of those, I made a connection with um, a sister writer who gave me kind of an Internet um, introduction to her editor. And um, that was a a true stroke of of luck and a stroke of kindness on this person's part, too. But um, I submitted my book, and they rejected it. (laughs) And, but the editor noted on her rejection slip that she liked my writing, she liked my voice, she liked everything about my story except the beginning. She didn't think the beginning was was credible. And that was really crazy because the beginning was the only part of the book that was true. The book is about <laughs> the book is about an everyday woman, businesswoman, who meets the most famous entertainer in the world, and they meet in a hotel corridor, and it commences a friendship that becomes the rest of the book. I actually met a celebrity uh, almost that way. I had a crush on a baseball player. And I was writing him letters, and I never expected a response. He called me one day at work when the team was in town and invited me to a game. And that was the genesis of the idea, you know, the the what if. You see this guy, you got a crush on him, what if you you managed to meet him? 
and the book just that was the premise of the whole book, and that's the part that was true. But she didn't think that was very credible, so I changed it to the two of them being in the same hotel and running to each other into each other at the court in the corridor of the hotel. Very interesting. It's ironic how the only part that was true was the one she felt wasn't. So, okay. so you got it published. And uh, so let's talk feedback, Renetta. How was All for Love, the Superstars Lady, received? Talk about some of the feedback you got from those who read it, your early readers. Well, here again, I, this was my first book. I had absolutely no, I mean, I'd written short stories and stuff before, but never a novel. And I later, here again, I'm a rookie, I later found out that the response was phenomenal. I I have, I received, uh, got to be at least 500 letters from women. Here again, this is early in the Internet, and email wasn't, the way most people went. A few people did, but most people still went the old-fashioned way with surface mail. And I had been advised to get a post office box, so I did. And I went, like, about maybe two weeks after the book was released, I went to the post office book, and letters just fell out (laughs) on the floor. (laughs) And um, people love that book. I mean, to make a long story, to this day, Women, 20 years later, women read that book. And I don't know how many women I've had tell me that they fell in love with Daryl. That's the hero. So we know that the women love romance and romantic novels. And we know that women wrote you letters to say how much they love Daryl in the book. What was the feedback, if any, from males who read the book? One thing, here again, was an interesting thing that I found out right away. A lot of guys that are in prison read romance novels. Really? And Yes, yes. And I had no idea until I started getting letters from a lot of guys in prison. In fact, this one dude assumed that he and I had something going, and he was so happy to tell me how he'd be out in a year and a half, and he'd be to see me which I can tell you how happy that made me. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but apparently romance novels are very popular with guys in prison, and I guess if you think about it, maybe, you know, it might even make sense. Um, I pride yes. myself with my books where they are romances, but I want them to be just good books. You know, where the romance is is an important factor, but there's a lot of other things going on. Um, Since I am African-American, I like to incorporate black history in my books. And not in an intrusive way, but I'll have the the couple go to a museum and there's an exhibit and maybe there's a half a page explaining how this item had uh, impact in black history, things like that. So I have had men that have read my books and enjoyed them just as books. And in that that was my goal. So that, that pleases me very much when I hear that from the guys. Raynetta, in September of this year, you celebrated the 20-year milestone with the release of book two of what you titled 
the Superstar series by releasing All for Love, the Superstar. Why yes. did you wait? Yes. Why did you wait twenty years to publish that <laughs> second installment? Well, the original superstar, which is the superstar's lady, is the story of the romance between the businesswoman and the superstar. But it's unique in that it's told in third, in, excuse me, in first person. And first person for those that are wondering. It's when it's seen only through the eyes of one person. So this book is written, this is Angela's experiences, what she's feeling, what she's seeing, what she's doing. And instead of saying, Angela went and opened the door, it would say, I went and opened the door. And when I looked outside, that, you know. And here again, I didn't know that was unusual and basically kind of frowned on for first-time writers to, to write in first person. But I didn't know it. So I did it. So uh, while, but what I found is while I was writing that book, since it's in first person, it's only in Angela's voice. You only know what she knows. You only know what she sees or what she hears or what she finds out. If there's something going on that's beyond her vision or sight or nobody tells her about it, it couldn't be in the book because she wouldn't have known it. And I found while I was writing the book, even though any scenes or or events that were going on where she was not present, I still had to formulate them in my mind in order to write, you know, to write her, the book. I had to say, well, while right. Angela's doing this, this is going on. And what happened was I, I, I basically wound up writing a book in my head that I've been carrying around in my head for 20 years, which is... <laughs> what happened in that book that Angela didn't know about, i.e., right. from his viewpoint, from the, the of the hero, the superstar, and that is what book two is. And my my tagline on that is, it's not the same story when he sees it his way and she sees it her way. And I think anybody that's read those two books will tell you it's the romance of Daryl and Angela. But those books are completely two separate and completely different books. Uh, most of what's in each is not in the other because right. she doesn't know what he's doing and vice versa. So in their own book, they're saying what they're doing, but they don't know what the other person is doing. Um, you see conversations. There's conversations where you don't know what Angela is thinking. And that's what Daryl is wondering. Her book answers that question, but he has that question. So, I, you know, I look at it as two pieces of a puzzle. There's a great big old puzzle with two pieces. There are areas where they overlap, okay, of course, primarily when the two of them are together. But I found that even those scenes are not the same because, here again, you've got how one person perceived it, and quite often, it was not the way the other person thought they did. So, um, so anyway, I, I just got a big kick out of doing it. It was, it was. I think that's the most fun book I've ever written. Is that last one? As you said, book one is her story. Book two is his. You knew exactly. you were taking a risk to do this. You knew about the risk, but you discussed the concept with a lot of people friends and family, yes. 
other romance mm-hmm. orders, authors, and also with readers. Talk about this research process and how did it differ with family authors and readers? Well, and, and I'm glad you put it that way because there was definitely a difference. I guess I've had this this idea in infancy um, within a couple of years when the, when the original hit me one day, hey, I got all this other stuff in my head, you know, that's, res, that's residual from the other books. And somewhere around in near the thought said, well, why don't you write a book from his point of view? And the immediate thought after was, are you crazy? No, but, you know, get out of here. You can't do that. So it, the idea kept coming up, coming up, coming up, year after year after year. Finally, one year, I asked a friend. I said, you know, I've got this idea in mind. What do you think? And I ran it on her, and she said, hey, I think that will be interesting. I'd be, I'd be very interested in reading that, which surprised me. I thought she was going to tell me, forget about it. So I started asking other family members, and I remember right before I finally decided to go ahead was that I asked my granddaughter. Uh, my granddaughter, I am so very proud and, and humbly happy to say, will be graduating from college uh, this month. So she, you know, she's a young lady. She's 22. And I told her about the idea, and especially by her being young, you know, I just thought, sure, she would say, Grandma, please, you know. But she liked it. She, you know, she thought it would make a good book, which, again, surprised me. So I started asking uh, other people. I, I am fortunate enough to know a lot of other authors, since, you know, that I've met since, you know, I'm an author. And um, I've gone to book signings and, you know, other other affairs where there's a lot of readers. There was um, a convention here in April. Um, It's called the Romance Slam Jam. (laughs) And and it's a conference of writers and readers of of black, African-American, if you will, romance. And it meets, I think this year was the 17th year, I think. But in any case, this year it met here. It met in Dearborn. And and I went, and I got to talk to a lot of readers. And that was one of the most valuable experiences of my life as a writer because nobody can tell you more of what they like and what they don't like than the people that are buying the books. You got that so, right, um, uh, there's nothing else than that, exactly. Yeah. Sure. So, so I asked so them, in fact. Not, okay, go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. Well, I was just going to say that um, some of the people at the conference were people that had read that book 20 years ago. In fact, some right. of them had the book that they bought 20 years ago that they brought for me to sign. So I knew I was talking to some people that really could give me really cogent answer on this, and they liked it. They said, oh, wow, that would be great, you know, to find out what was going on on the other side of the coin, so to speak. So there you go. So let's talk about Raynetta Manny's The Person. Where did you grow up, and what was your childhood like? I grew up, I was born and raised in Detroit, Michigan. And my experience at that time was wonderful. 
Uh, at that time, uh, I don't mind telling you, I'll be 66 next month. So I was born in okay. 1951. So when I say childhood, I'm talking the 50s, early 60s for me. Um, we we had, we were a working class family. My dad, my stepdad worked uh, in um, in the auto industry. He worked in one of the plants. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. I had an older brother that was so much older, he was married with a family of his own and a younger sister that was four years younger. And our world was wonderful. I mean, we weren't rich, but we had everything we needed. Um, the kids on the block, we used to play with each other. Everybody on the block knew each other. Uh, everybody, all the people were very proud of their homes, and they, you know, kept their property up, beautiful lawns. And oh, my mother was known for her gardens. She was known far and wide. And it was a very, we, our church was within walking distance of the house. We could walk there in 10 minutes. And my stepfather was a deacon, so we were in church quite a bit. And um, looking back, you know, like I think most people don't really appreciate the importance of of something in their life until it's passed, not while they're going through it. And that's exactly what happened to me with my childhood. I mean, I knew I wasn't getting beaten up and we had food to eat and that kind of thing. But I didn't realize Mm -hmm. what a wonderful experience that was until it, it was over and I looked back. I have to ask you, um, you said you grew up in Detroit during that time. Did you grow up anywhere near the Brewster Projects? No. Okay. Uh, no. The Brewster Projects are almost at, almost downtown, where, you know, okay. the, which is more or less the center, the center of the city. We lived a hop, skip, and a jump from the suburbs. We were only like okay. two miles from the suburbs on the outer edge of Detroit. So, no, I, no, I didn't it. live near the projects. So what were some of the books and authors that inspired you in your youth? Well, I was one of those kids that read everything. <laughs> I, I read everything I could get my my hands on. I read the encyclopedia from there. There was an encyclopedia back then called World Book Encyclopedia. And yeah, I had it. Tell them, daughter, did you have one? Yeah, well, we we had one. We had it. And sure did. Uh, <laughs> yep. And they would go sell them door to door, and you'd buy like uh-huh. a, a book at a time, you know, until you finally got to Z. So I read that from A to Z. I read this big old fat book we had um, on etiquette <laughs> by Emily Post. And I just read everything. I read this. It was this big, thick medical manual that I don't even know how it got in my house. Um, I read that, even though I didn't understand half of it. So I was just, I don't know, I was just one of those kids that just loved to read, you know. And that's what... That's what kind of piqued my interest. So getting back to your books, Raynetta, why is the entertainment field so prevalent with your stories and characters? Why are most of your characters in the entertainment field? 
Well, because primarily media is my my other love, or writing is a subset, let's just say, of my big love, okay. which is media. Um, I think I might have mentioned um, I've been an actress on stage. I've been in television commercials. Uh, I was a disc jockey for two years. I wrote um, uh, uh, plays for a while. So, you know, like I've been in many aspects. I was a photographer for a hot minute of of communication and media. And um, I started out in journalism when I was in college. I was a journalism major until the incident that you mentioned that you read from my article happened with Muhammad Ali. And up to then... I had, like I guess probably most people, at least back then, I don't know about now, people are a little bit more skeptical now than skeptical than they were then. But back then, you know, you read something in the paper and, okay, well, that was the way it happened, you know. There, was, there wasn't very much questioning it. And when that happened, when I actually heard with my own ears what Muhammad Ali said, and then I read in the paper what they wrote the next day, that's what brought home to me that you have to, anything that you get through third hand from anywhere or anyone, you have to take it with somewhat a grain of salt. You shouldn't just assume because it's printed in black and white it's, it's gospel. The only thing that's gospel is the Bible. <laughs> Nobody's newspaper is gospel. So I, when I that. got into that, I'm sorry, I said amen to that. Oh, oh okay. I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't hear you. <laughs> I but, was just um, agreeing with you. Oh, okay. Well, you know, I knew that you would because you're a writer. So I, I know you know exactly uh-huh. what I'm what I'm talking about. And um, I guess I could have went one of two ways. I could have just said to hell with it. I'm not interested in communications at all and just, you know, took a business course. Or I would, could have gone the way I did go and go into I want to know this inside and out. So I switched my major from which was journalism, which was primarily writing classes, to what was a new major at that time, which was called mass communications. It was very new. Some, In fact, um, not every college had it. And it was a, a major in which you were taught the full spectrum of communicative media. So I I did have journalism courses, but I also had courses in television production, in radio production, in acting. Um, I was a singer anyway. I've been a singer since I was three. So a lot of my fellow students in that um, major may not have taken singing lessons, but I did because that was part of my thing. So um, it very much motivated me because, and the reason I did that is I I realized then just how powerful um, communications are. I mean, between human beings, I think that's one of the most, probably number two powerful, uh, only second to number one being body language. And Mm. um, I realized since it was so critical you could do a lot of good or a lot of harm messing around with it. 
and I wanted to understand it, and I wanted to work in it, which, thank God, I've been fortunate enough to do. And um, because if I saw some foolishness going on, like that article about Ali, I was going to try my best to stop it. And if there was something positive going on that wasn't being put out there to the world, I wanted to do that. So, Okay. Um, as one whose mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, I am very interested in your book, My Alzheimer's Diary, My Journey mm-hmm. to the Shadow of Alzheimer's Disease Diagnosis, Alzheimer's Memoir. Renetta, how was it for you writing this poignant memoir of this very personal issue? Well, I tell you, at the time that I wrote it, it was therapy, I guess. Um, Alzheimer's runs in my family. Um, My grandmother had it, my mother had it, my brother had it, and he killed all three of them. And there came a day when it was suspected that I had it. Um, My daughter had noticed a number of things that I was doing, getting lost, forgetting things, that I just, you know, I just put it off to getting older. I didn't think anything of it, but she did. And um, being that she knew of our family history, she was very concerned, and finally one day she sat me down and talked to me about it. And unbeknownst to me, she had talked to my doctor about it, who is also her doctor. And, of course, he was too professional to, you know, release any of my medical records to her or discuss them with her. But he told her, he said, there was nothing that was saying he couldn't listen. And he did listen to what she had to tell him about what I was doing. And he told her that tell your mother to make an appointment right away. So the book was, it turns out that, it wound up being like six months between that day until I had the definitive test that would tell me yes or no. And then there was another almost two months after that before I got the diagnosis. And um, I was scared. I was really scared. I, I thought I had it, actually, because I was doing what my mother did. When, when, my, when my mom first started showing symptoms, the first thing I remember is she started calling other people the wrong name. Like my name's Renetta, she would my, she would call me Star. Star's my sister, and it was a big joke when Mama was doing it. It was so funny. Oh, she's doing it again, ha ha ha! Because nobody really knew about Alzheimer's back then, and we had no idea that that was the very beginning of her, you know, showing that the disease was there. And I started doing that, and it made me kind of nervous when I started doing that because I remembered how it affected Mama. So in any case, they had they had to di- diagnose me, and I was set up for an appointment, and I was scared. So what I did is almost every day or, you know, a couple of times a week, I just sat down and just recorded a diary of how I was feeling, you because know, what was right. Uh-huh, a journal, and that's what the book is. And, and you know, it, it's, in fact, that's what exactly where it's written. It starts off December 18th, uh, two thousand. 11, because an incident happened that initiated this whole chain of events. And you'll go through it, and there'll be an entry May 6, 
2012 or whatever. And it's just, that's exactly what it is. I had no intention of publishing it when I was writing it. It was how I kept myself from going crazy until I found out. Right. So um, um, also I knew a lot about Alzheimer's because of my grandmother, my mother and brother having it, but I only knew about what happened once it was diagnosed, what happened to the person or with the family. I didn't know too much about how it got diagnosed because, like, when my mom, it was my stepfather that was going to the doctor with her. So we didn't really know what the doctor was doing to determine, you know, that mom had it. And I started looking it up, and I found out there were very few, relatively few, um, pieces, written pieces about the process of being diagnosed with Alzheimer's. There's a lot on what all, explaining Alzheimer's and how to deal with somebody with Alzheimer's and caregiver stuff, but there wasn't very, really very much about how you think somebody's got, got Alzheimer's, so what happens next? Um, up, and there was very little. So once I went through the process, which, by the way, maybe I shouldn't say this because I might be hurting sales of the book, but I don't have Alzheimer's. What was causing my symptoms was sleep apnea. My my brain was starved for oxygen. So right. I don't okay. have I don't so I don't have it. But I went I had to go through this six month process for them to definitely say no, you don't have it. And I guess I have to say I don't have it yet because I have to go in every two years and get tested because I am high risk. It, they found out at one point they were saying it wasn't hereditary, but they've since found out there are several strains that are hereditary. So, Interesting, interesting. Thank you for sharing that with us. That is excellent. So in closing, I have, Raynetta, what I feel is a pertinent question. Out of okay. everything, out of everything that you accomplished in your full life, besides your children and family, what would you say you are most proud of? Well, I got to tell you, I, I got to divide that in two things: one being personal, one being professional. The professional one, without a doubt, is my writing um, because I've had so many people tell me that it meant something to them. I, I went to a, a writer, reader-writer conference years ago, and there were all kinds of women there. This one woman was a doctor, and this other one was a lawyer and a judge. And I'm sitting there saying, wow, you know, you guys, I'm just a, I'm just, I just write romance novels. And I said, I can't even, I'm not even in your league. And one of them said, no, no, you're just as important as we are, if not more, because you make people happy. And I've always tried to remember, you know, I've always tried to remember. I mean, she was sincere. And I always tried to remember that. And the thing about writing is, especially now that there are e-books where no book ever goes out of print, um, writing something is kind of like a little piece of immortality because I've got my I've got uh, 10 books, 11 books on Amazon right now. Those books will stay there until Amazon breaks down. 
until Amazon goes out of business. Long after, hopefully, long after Renetta Manise is gone, those books will still be there and they'll still be making people happy. And they'll still be making money, so maybe one day they'll help my grandson go to college. He's 10. Yes, ma'am. So, um, in, in, in a minute that we have left, what's next for Renetta Manise? Maybe screenplays, movies of your great novels. What other irons do you have in the fire? I tell you, I would love to have one of or more of my books made into movies. My intention is to one of my books. In fact, I think actually all of them would would probably lend themselves to that and write a screenplay and present it. Years ago, I was discussing movie rights with um, uh, a record company. There was a, a record company called The Face Records. And I don't know if you know the, right. the baby, singer Baby Face. Baby Face. Right. Yeah. He and his wife. And I was speaking mm-hmm. with, uh, and they did produce movies. There's a couple of movies out there they did. Yes, they and did. I was speaking yes, with the did. representative of them about one of my books being made into a movie. And we, while we were in discussing it, the company broke up. Mm-hmm. And I think they got think divorced. They got whatever. Divorced. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. The company, yeah. and that was, and the idea just didn't really get picked up by. It kind of broke into two, mm-hmm. and it never. It just kind of fell into the crack, I guess, in the middle. But I would love right. to His do that. His wife was very talented. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that would be yeah. beautiful. So, if Somebody wanted to contact you, follow you, uh, send you an email, or do anything. Go to your website. Please give out any contact information, please. Well, I tell you, I, I'm, I'm, I have what they call a presence in social media because I've got, mm-hmm. got a personal website. Uh, I don't know. Most people know this, but Amazon.com maintains an author page for each, each author. So I have an author page on Amazon.com proper, um, my own personal website. I've got a Facebook page. I've got um, Pinterest. I've got Twitter. I've got LinkedIn. I've got Tumblr. I've got, uh, uh, what's that thing, YouTube. <laughs> and I've got Vimeo and Tumblr. So I'm out wow. Um, the best way I can tell tell anyone to reach me because I've got you know I can be reached just about through any of those those um, you know sources. I can, I can you can tweet me, you can send me an email, whatever. Um, I'm blessed and cursed to have an unusual name. In fact, I know for a fact I'm the only Renetta Manise in the United States. I mean, other people have that first name and other people have that last name, but nobody has that combination, Renetta Manise. So um, what I would recommend is somebody go, if you know how to um, spell my last name, which is M-A-N-M-A-N-E-E-S. If you can remember to put Renetta Manise or even our Manise will work. And all my stuff's right there. I mean, there's, a, you know, a few, a couple of thousand of, of Google entries. And you can reach me, see all the different ways to reach me in any way that's good for you is good for me. 
This has been the Funk Soul Cafe with me, Robert Batista. One of the easiest ways to peer into my soul is to download and read my free micro story called My Baby Has No Name from Smashwords.com. My guest has been seasoned author, blogger, and so much more, Raynetta Manage, the only one in the United States, y'all. Make sure you visit her <laughs> website, rmanage.com, and feast your mind. Thank you so much, Renee, for being my guest on the Funk Soul Cafe. Oh, Robert, it was a ball. Thank you for having me. Oh, we had a great time. We have to do it again. Take care. And I'm good my, pl- my pleasure. Anytime. Bye now. Bye.